Hi, this is Pastor Paul Jay Chandran. Welcome to Life Church Castle Hill podcast. I pray that the Lord will speak to you through the Word of God. We believe that when we open the pages of Scripture, we not only get a message from the Word of God, but we also encounter the God of the Word. May you encounter the God of the Word and may your life be transformed from the inside out. God bless you. Enjoy this message. We're thankful to the Lord. I just want to share with the testimony. I have the permission from the person to share this. After the IDMC conference, we received an email and subsequently had a phone call from um, to with this church leader from another church. And uh, this was the testimony. He shared that uh, someone, a friend of his from Life Church, gave two tickets for him to come to IDMC conference in 2017. And he came, and he, this is what he shared, that the Lord spoke through the lives of the speaker and the messages. And at different times in the conference, he found himself crying before God. And one of the things he cried for is, Lord, I would love to see this revitalization, the lives, transformed lives in our own church. And uh, therefore, he was so moved by the Lord, he went and bought 18 tickets at the end of the conference. And he went and prayerfully invited his uh, pastoral team. And he's also the elder in the church. So he invited the pastoral team and some of the leaders in the church. And about 18 of them came um, this year's conference, 2019. And he said by the end of 2019, when they, when they were so moved by what God is doing, the pastor went and bought 75 tickets for next year. He said he wants to bring most of his leaders and, in fact, the whole whatever the church can bring, he wants to bring. And I was so moved and touched by it. And the one thing he shared is that um, what God is speaking through this conference is a reminder to the church that methodologies and, and things that we do are not the focus. It's Christ who is the focus. And lives need to fall in love with Jesus and and as a result, there is a change of life. There's an application of scripture. There's a transformation of life. And uh, we're praying for them. And the Lord is doing that work. So shall we give the Lord a clap offering? Come on. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. <clears throat> We've been on this journey as a church for the last seven years. And I hear so many testimonies after testimonies of how God is deepening the lives of his people. And how God is transforming the church as a result. And not only here, but also in the churches that have joined this journey together. And I'm thankful for all that God is doing in our midst. This morning, I want to continue on our sermon series from the book of Colossians. And in Colossians, we have finished up to verse 27. And today, we'll be focusing on the rest of the first chapter, which is two verses, verse 28 and verse 29. And I want to title this sermon, The Heart of Discipleship. As a disciple-making church and wanting to be intentional in this journey, over the last seven years, as I reflect back, some of these key things have undergirded what we do. So what I'm sharing with you as principles this morning from the scripture are principles that we have applied and we have benefited from it. And now we are passing it on. But it's a gentle reminder for all of us to keep coming back to the core things that 
Christ Jesus is looking for. So today, I'm going to seek the Lord's help to help us do this. Father, we thank you for your goodness and grace of all that you're doing in our midst. We submit to your Lordship. We give you the glory, the praise, and the honor. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you will open our eyes and give us listening ears even this moment. That as your word, of, word is being preached, let it come forth with authority and power and exactitude. And let it accomplish the things for which it is being sent. And we acknowledge that the Holy Spirit is our teacher. And I pray, Father, that you will be glorified in our midst. We thank you. In Jesus' precious name and the people of God said, Amen. Story was told of a jester that offended a king. And he was very close to the king, but one day through misunderstanding, this jester offended the king. And so the king wanted to throw him in the madman's dungeon. Now, this madman's dungeon is a circular dungeon. It's a hole on the ground, and it is circular, and they close the, once they put the man in, they close it, so it's also dark. And whoever goes into this dungeon usually loses their mind, becomes insane in a few days. But this jester was afraid of becoming insane, so he called out and he asked the king, please, king, would you please forgive me and... Uh, and the king said, if you can survive seven days in the madman's dungeon and remain sane, I'll forgive you and accept you back. So he went into the dungeon. And when they lowered him into the dungeon, he took with him four sharp stones of different shapes. And then he, when seven days later, when they brought him up, he was completely sane. He was fine. The king was so surprised. He said, how did you maintain your sanity? He said, this is what the jester said. He said, when you go into a dark place, when you go into a circular place and it's a dark place, the thing that happens is you get disoriented. You lose your sense of direction and you lose your sense of time because it's dark and it's circular. So one of the things I wanted to make sure is that I don't lose the sense of direction and sense of time. So I brought four stones of different shapes. And this is what I did. I, as soon as they lowered me, I put each stone in each corner. And I made my own square. I made my own corner as though it was the direction of north, south, east, west. And every single hour, I just went from one to another and continued to move. And therefore, I had the sense of direction, sense of orientation. I survived. A lesson from this is that we do need direction in life. Many times, marriages go through hardship because they forgot the direction that God has placed them together for a purpose. When you lose the orientation, when you lose the sense of direction and the sense of timing, what happens is you live carelessly, you live aimlessly. And therefore, you don't walk, don't walk into the things that God has. So one of the things that is so important in our lives is to develop a compass, a clear sense of direction. And this compass in the midst of confusion will direct you, will navigate you. We need to have a sense of calling in the midst of all the compulsions that the world is throwing at us. I say this not only for a family. But I say this also for churches. Many times we forget why we exist. 
Many times we end up doing well in the beginning, but we lose focus. We lose the sense of purpose, the sense of direction. There is an orientation loss. There's a sense of urgency that is lost. Therefore, what happens is we just go through the motion. We become just doing the rituals. So one of the core things as leaders in the church is to keep coming back. What it is that gives us the sense of compass in the midst of confusion. What is it that gives us a sense of calling in the midst of all the compulsions we see, all the other patterns that are pulling us away from what is central to the gospel, what is central to Christ's mission. So as a church, we re-examine these things. So this morning, the text that we're going to look at, I want you to see the heart of discipleship, and I want you to see this text and there are four phrases from this text that I'm going to convert into four principles for us, as though they were the cardinal principles for discipleship. Because Paul, when he writes Colossians, he wants to exalt Christ. Paul, for Paul, Christ was his magnificent obsession. Christ was not someone he needed to get to something else. Christ is everything for Paul. That's why in the first chapter, the main question he addresses is, is Christ prominent in your life or is Christ preeminent in your life? And one of the things that Paul addresses is, as you place Christ the chief place in your life, as you give him the chief place, he is the Lord of your life. He directs the affairs of your life. From him, you will find your compass. And today in this text, Paul moves from the Christological emphasis to now he uses two pronouns, we and I, in these two verses. I want you to pay attention to it because his focus now is slightly shifting to us as a community. He's writing to the Colossian church and he's saying, this church needs to find its compass, need to know how to make disciples, what it, what it is about, what it, how to live a life in a way that Christ is preeminent for the world. To see in our lives. And therefore, Paul gives us these two verses. And you'll notice the pronoun change from Christ. He was talking about Christ now in him, in him. Now suddenly it is we, we, and then I. And he places an importance on corporate responsibility and personal responsibility. So let's look at these texts. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28 and verse 29. Let's read it together. 3, 2, 1. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I like you to think about the key words that are repeated. There's one word repeated three times. Everyone, everyone, everyone. And the key verbs here, proclaim. Him we proclaim, that we may present everyone. Mature in Christ. Then in verse 29, he goes on to say, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For this I toil. When you're studying the Bible, you look for the key verbs. And then you understand it and give it principles. Sometimes you look at the prepositional phrases and you give it a key principles. Here, when I look at these four phrases... I want to think of the four cardinal principles that gives us what is the heart of discipleship. One, Paul says in the beginning, Him we proclaim. 
Paul was trying to recapture something. He wanted to recapture the evangelistic zeal in the church world. He says, we are losing it. We need to, him we proclaim. What are we here? We are here for him. Him we proclaim. The second thing he says, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom. In other words, there is a realignment that needs to take place. Paul was emphasizing a realignment. Realignment unto wisdom. Realignment with wisdom. And thirdly, he goes on to say, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. There is a so that here, so that whenever you read the word so that, it is the purpose. What is the purpose of discipleship? What is the goal of discipleship? The sum of our discipleship, all our effort that we put is to present everyone mature, spiritually mature in Christ. Therefore, there is a refocus that we need to capture. Refocus on spiritual maturity. And finally, he says, for this I toil. For this. When you look at that this, what is this? This. It's not these 40 things I pay attention to. But this one thing I do. What is for this? That this determines the purpose. There is a repurposing of his life. Repurposing of his focus. What was the repurpose? The repurpose is to mature everyone in Christ. This whole text is about presenting everyone mature in Christ. So what are the four cardinal principles of discipleship? One, we must recapture the evangelistic zeal. One of the things that the privilege that God has given me is to speak to many movement leaders. Some of them I personally mentor. And as we journey together and I see the things, one of the things we see is the illusion that things are happening. And the illusion is that churches around the world, even though there are some that are declining in numbers, but then there are some that seemingly increasing in numbers. And therefore, when, you are, when you're looking at the increase of numbers, it gives you an illusion that everything is fine. But when you observe it closely, what happens? I was just recently talking to one of the uh, one of a movement leaders in, in a Muslim nation. And he said, Pastor, this is, this is what happens. People just go from one place to another. We are just moving people from one pond to the other. We're not really winning. We are not really making an impact in the nation. But we are just becoming spiritual consumers who just move from one camp to the other. And it seemingly give way to churches that are doing well and seemingly that we are making a progress. But not so. You and I, we need to come back to the real thing about discipleship. A disciple-making church asks this fundamental question, not how many people are coming to your church, but what kind. Here, Paul, when you seek what Paul is saying, he says, him we proclaim. We exist as a church. We, we exist as a church for him. We are not here to promote our methodology. We are not here to promote a, a presentation or a program or even personalities. We are here to promote Christ, Him. If you sit down with Paul and you ask him this question, Paul, you must be a person who loves discipleship. You know what Paul would say? Paul says, I don't love discipleship, but I love Jesus. Therefore, I disciple people. 
Paul, you have given your life to go and church plant. You travel to the same route, going to the same cities, not only planting churches, but strengthening churches with appointing elders and teaching them to grow in God. You must love church planting. And Paul will humbly say, no, I don't love church planting. I love Jesus. See, you and I, we need to come back to this place that it is Him. That is why in Colossians, it is always, it, it's, Paul is using this, using this whole chapter to build on this. And God is speaking to us through Paul that the magnificent obsession of a believer should be not a church, not a methodology, not anything else. It should be Jesus Christ. It is He. And Paul was lifting Jesus up. You know, if you look at in verse 15 and to verse 18, Paul puts Jesus in the center of everything and he says, I, I, Jesus should be in the center of everything. Jesus is preeminent in all things. Why? Because of who he is and what he has done. Look at it in verse 15 onwards. He says, he is the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. It's the first Greek word you and I need to understand. The prototokos, meaning he is the firstborn. What does firstborn means? That he's the chiefborn. He has the chief place. He has the highest place. He's of a certain kind. He's the highest place. And God has placed him higher in creation. Why? Because all things were created by him in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him, through him, and for him. He is the reason for creation. He is the purpose for creation. Everything was created for him. And the Bible says, this is why he has the chief place. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Again, the word firstborn, prototokos. He has the chief place in the church. That in everything, again, all things, he might be preeminent. You and I need to capture this. We need to capture that it is life is about Jesus. The church is about Jesus. My meaning in life is about Jesus. He is the one who defines my life. He's the one who gives me purpose and meaning and direction in life. Him. I'm in love with him. And because I'm in love with him, I understand who he is. I understand what he has done. Verse 19, verse 20, Paul goes on to say, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Second Greek word, fullness, pleroma. Why this word was so important for Paul to use is because the Greek had a philosophy of gods, a hierarchical structure for gods. There were demigods, there were small gods. Then they, they, were, they, they go up all the way to a supreme god who's all-powerful. This supreme god, they use the word pleroma, the fullness of God. And Paul uses that Jesus Christ is the fullness of God. There is no one. He is the ultimate. He's the fullness of God. And this pleroma, what did he do? God used him to come into the world and to die on the cross for mankind. You and I, we are thankful to the Lord Jesus for coming and dying, taking our place and dying under the wrath of God. Giving his life for our life so that we are saved. Can you say amen? And the beautiful thing that Paul writes here and he says is, this is the reason why. Because of who God is, who Christ is, and what he has done, 
My life is all about him. Verse 18 towards the end, it says that in all things, Christ might be preeminent. Him we proclaim. You and I, we should never lose sight of that. It is him. It is him. And the reason why Paul moves on to say him, we proclaim. What is proclaim? This is the word, this is the word for, for proclamation of the gospel. It's heralding the gospel. It is declaring to the world. It is sharing with the world that there is a Jesus Christ who came. He lived a perfect life but died the death that they deserve so that they can be saved by the blood of his cross. And this Jesus, we proclaim him. Why? We proclaim him because we understand two things. One, we understand the total inability of man to save himself. We should understand the gravity of the situation. Men are lost. And the absolute lostness of men should grip our hearts. And they cannot save themselves by anything they do. They need a savior. And God sent them Jesus as the savior. And this savior died for them. And they need to hear this. That's why we proclaim him. Hallelujah. And when you proclaim him. You understand this, the total inability of man to save himself, the total lostness of man, but you also declare the complete sufficiency of Christ Jesus. That is why we proclaim him. Because we recognize, we are gripped with this, that our loved ones who do not know Christ are lost. And they will spend eternity, lost in eternity. They will be far removed from God. They will be away from the presence of God. And so our heart is crying out for them. And therefore, because we understand the total lostness of man, we also know we have the sufficiency of Christ, the complete sufficiency of Christ for their salvation. Therefore, we proclaim. If we lose sight of this, all we do is play church. We come, we listen, we complain, we, we hear, we grow. If you don't like it here, you go somewhere else, you do things. Why? We have forgotten. We need to recapture the essence of a Christian life. The essence of a Christian life, the heart of discipleship is Jesus Christ, the one who is God, fullness of God, who died for me. He is my Savior and the world needs Him. Therefore, I proclaim Him. Hallelujah. Him we proclaim. That is why in this year, as a church, we called it the CTTC, isn't it? What does CTTC stand for? Compel them to come. How many are you compelling them to come into the kingdom of God, into the, into the gospel? Carry them to Christ in prayer. That's why we use strategies like the blessed strategy. What do we do with the blessed strategy? We, we bless the people. We pray for people first. We begin with prayer. Then we listen attentively to their needs, to their stories. And then we eat with them. We spend life, we do life together with them intentionally so that there will be an opportunity for us to serve their needs. And ultimately, we want to not only know their story, but we want to share our story and therefore share the gospel story. This is what we do. Him, we proclaim. That is the evangelistic zeal that we need to recapture. Because Jesus is coming back to his church. But you and I, we need to understand this. That Jesus did not come and say, go build the church. He said, I will build the church. 
You don't need to build a church. I will build a church. But the church is busy building the church. Jesus says, I will build a church. But you are supposed to go and make disciples of all nations. We build a church. We run systems to build a church. We do everything to build a church. When the whole world is lost. You and I, we need to come back to that priority. That's what Paul was heralding here. He says, him we proclaim. And it's a corporate responsibility for each and every one of us. He says, we proclaim. Not just the good evangelists in our midst. Not just the gifted people in our midst. Each and every one of us in our daily walk among men, we proclaim Jesus. Can you say amen? That is the Christian life. We and I have to recapture this. The second thing Paul goes on to say in this text, we must realign a second cardinal principle. We must realign with wisdom. Look at this, what he says. Warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom. You know, how do you proclaim him? You proclaim him through doing two things. One, you admonish everyone. You teach everyone. You warn everyone. You teach everyone. This is the word admonish. What is admonishing? Admonishing means we need to deal with the negative effects of people's wrong beliefs. That is admonishing. That means I want to bring correction. That's what that word means. Rebuke, correction, alignment, back. So when I see a believer walking in erroneous thinking, immature thinking, I have to lovingly point them back, admonish them, bring them back so that they are corrected in their thinking so they can continue to do the will of God. There must be a realignment. That's the admonishing factor. The second thing also, he says, is you need to be teaching them. So one is to deal with the negative effects of wrong beliefs. Teaching is to produce the positive effects of right beliefs. We got to cultivate the right belief. We got to cultivate the right theological foundation. One of the things that Paul is adamant here is teach them. How would they know? Even Jesus Christ in his great commission says, go and teach the people that they would know what is it that they need to obey. See, one of the things that I find that troubles me most is we do teach, we do train we try to be disciples, but we don't intentionally train to be disciples. If you want to be a doctor, you train yourself in the university for many years. And you go to a doctor who is well-trained. You go to a teacher because they are well-trained. You and I, we need to be trained to be a disciple. We need to take time to train. That's why as a disciple-making church, we provide the Bible college for you to be Involved in so that you are trained, admonished through the word, trained through the word, so that you can come back to live life in light of scriptures. But in this passage, if it was just about admonishing and training or teaching, that would be enough. But he carries on with a phrase, he says, with all wisdom. This is what I want you to pay attention to. Why? Because we need to realign with wisdom in our discipleship. What is lacking in the church world today is wisdom. We have a lot of information. 
In fact, you could search on the Google and find every information that you want. So there's surplus of information, plus a deficit of wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is how you apply things. How two and two are connected. Understanding is missing. Understanding is to see the pattern and to be able to connect the dots and to live a life filled with wisdom. That is what was missing. So what was Paul writing? He says, teach people. Teach people. Train people. But do it with wisdom. This is where you and I, we need to ask the fundamental question, what wisdom is he referring to? Where do you find the wisdom? Because the word he uses there is all wisdom. Does that mean he wants you to go and grab all the wisdom that there is in the world? No. But what is the all wisdom? All wisdom is what you need for that season of your life. The availability of wisdom and the adequacy of wisdom. For that timely wisdom that you need. All wisdom. You need to learn to admonish people and teach people with wisdom. With all wisdom. Oh, but where do I find this wisdom, Pastor? It is only found in the Word of God. Look at Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9. Paul expounds this in his prayer. He prayed for the Colossian church. He said, so from the first day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That you're filled with all spiritual wisdom. Where is it found? It is found in the word of God. You know how in the last days, people, the Bible says there will be famine. And famine for what? Not famine for good churches. Listen to me carefully. There will not be famine for, oh, good godly churches. There will be famine for the word of God. That is what will be famine in the last days. Why? Because words will be undermined. People will seek wisdom in what works, not what is true. They will do things. That the whole church world is systemized in such a manner that everything is systemized. You just apply the system, push the button, things will happen. But no one knows the word. That's why biblically, biblical illiteracy is plaguing the church. We got to come back to wisdom of God. And that wisdom is found in the scriptures. Your discipleship and my discipleship is to the word of God. This is the wisdom. But these days, people don't treasure it. You know, when I was young, my dad told me, Paul, when you're young, I want you to carry this wherever you go. Because one day this will carry you to the world. True enough in my life, I carry the word wherever I go. But with this modern gadgets and technology that comes, we are so used to, oh, I, uh, we, we have spiritual reasons. We say, yes, I don't, uh, 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 it's okay, it's just a book. I have everything here, Pastor. In fact, I have every version you want. I got every version. We have accessibility. But do we truly apply? Do we have operate in wisdom? You know, in those days, when Moses spoke to children of Israel in, Deut in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy begins with this Hebrew word, ha-debarim. I want you to listen to this. Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 1. And he says, these are the words. These are the words. That's how it starts, that Moses spoke. Words is what was given to them. And they, they, they learn to live by the words. If they hold on to the words, they keep those words and they live by those words, they will live in wisdom. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. 
Verse 5 and verse 6 says this, See, I have taught you the words as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do those words in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Verse 6, keep them, keep the words, do the words, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who, when they hear all that God is doing, when, who will hear all these words will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Why would nations look to the Israelites and say they are wise and understanding people? Why? Not because God did miracles among them. It is because they know the words. Can I have a little bit volume on the stage, please? They have words. And they know how to keep those words. They know how to do those words. Church, one of the main things we want to cultivate in a disciple-making church is the love for the word of God. But pastor, these are just words. It's only words. And words that all I have to take your heart away. The Bee Gees got it right. All you have is only words. And that's all you need, church. Why? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. In the beginning, everything that was made was made by him. It was made through the word. It was made for him. In the word was life. And that life was the light of men. In other words, you and I, we despise these words. But these words are words of wisdom. Tutor your hearts to fall in love with the word. That's why you don't ask a question. Do I need to read the Bible? Hey, if you know the words, it's through these words that you live a godly life. It is through these words that you become wise and understanding generation. That you will never misstep because you will know what to do. Because God directs your life. You're being admonished. You're being taught the words. That's why in these days, there is a famine of words. Because we are going Bible light everywhere. But we need to come back to treasuring those words. That's important. The third cardinal principle that Paul wants to write. When it comes to words, can I just say this before I go on? Words need to be listened to. That's why the Bible always says listen. And words need to be remembered. The Bible says remember because we tend to forget. We need to listen, we need to understand, we need to apply, and we need to embrace them. And we need them as our compass. Paul goes on to say, he writes, we must refocus on spiritual maturity. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. I, I would like you to read that verse, verse 28 again with me. That line, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Christ. Look at how often that word everyone appears. Everyone, 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 three times. Why would Paul say everyone? Because everyone matters before God. It is not enough that you bring them to Christ. You and I, we need to help them to mature in Christ. Spiritual maturity ought to be our focus. Well, we refocus on spiritual maturity. That is why we work hard. What is spiritual maturity? One of the things I found is when in a church world, if you don't learn to define the terms, we don't know what to look for. So what is spiritual maturity? Spiritual maturity is this. 
It's a Christ-actualized life. You know, the world says you need to be a self-actualized life. You are everything. But for a believer, Christ is everything. So Paul says, I want to become mature in Christ. I want to become complete in Christ. How do I become complete in Christ? I become Christ-centered, not self-centered. I move away from being self-centered to Christ-centered. I want to be directed by Christ. So I'm now, master is directing me. There is a Christ-centeredness. There is a Christ-directedness about their life. They are spiritually mature. But they are continually being mastered by Christ to become one thing, Christ-likeness. And the Bible says, Jesus says, I'm gentle, I'm lowly, I'm humble. You want to be like Him. You, you grow in this fruit of the Spirit. You become more and more like Jesus as you continue to grow in Him. That is the ultimate. You and I, we need to come mature everyone in Christ towards spiritual maturity. But one of the things that plagues, you know, when I sit down with pastors and listen to their stories, many of them are in real pain. And the reason why they go through pain is because there is so much carnality, superficiality, immaturity, mediocrity that plagues the church. So much carnality, divisions, strife, envy, power play. And these things diminish everything. And a pastor who is committed to his congregation weeps over that, cries over that. It is hard work. To bring a person to Christ and to mature that person in Christ. It's a lot of hard work. It's a painful job. I want you to listen to me carefully. That's why Paul writes in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 19. I have the anguish of childbirth. Why? Until Christ is formed in you. It is not just enough to pray for that person who don't see things from biblical perspective. To, to, to admonish somebody. It requires so much prayer, so much weeping before God. That's why the church is not built on anything else. It's built on bended knees, wet eyes, and a broken heart. You cry over the people and you say, Lord, help them. I, I, I anguish the soul. The, the language here is there's an anguish until Christ is formed. That maturity, let it come. Otherwise, people get worked up about trivial stuff. Grow up. But then you realize, hang on, they're still in diapers. They still need someone to be feeding them. That's because there's so much immaturity. For this time you ought to be teachers, but you're still drinking milk, the Bible says. We need someone else to teach, someone else to give us the spoon feed because we do not know how to go back to the scriptures. We don't know how to glean wisdom. That's why in the Disciple Making Church, we want to train you in the Word of God. Next year at the IDMC conference, we'll be focusing on this one thing deeper in the word. Why? Because biblical illiteracy is plaguing the church. We need to come back to this because spiritual maturity is not produced unless they come back and be the people of the word. Not only refocus on spiritual maturity. Paul goes on to give us repurpose to great commission repurpose ourselves towards the great commission look at what he says in verse 29 for this i toil for this i toil what is this i toil this not what this 40 things this one thing what is the one thing i toil for that one thing is to present everyone mature in christ 
That's why we run life groups. That's why we run Sunday services. That's why we do Bible college. That's why we do mentoring groups. That's why we meet up with people. That's why we have IBMs. That's why we fellowship. Why we do everything that we do is to so that we present everyone mature in Christ. We. I want you to focus on that word we. Why? Because it will take not just a good preacher to bring spiritual maturity. It will take people with whom you do life. That's why discipleship happens in relationships. When you don't know how to handle relationships. Pastor, I love the preacher in this church, but I don't like the people in this church. You will not grow. Why? Because you are supposed to be in doing life with people and getting to know people. And even if they are people who give you all the annoyance in the world, you will grow by that. Why? Because there is so much carnality in your own life that God is using to weed out by putting in those groups. You learn how to love the unlovable. You learn how to love and deal with strong personality. You learn to love and submit when you do not agree with all your heart. You learn those things only when you're in the community. And that's why he says it is our responsibility corporately. We present everyone mature in Christ. We, we need each other. And the people of God said, we need each other. And that is what makes the church. And as we come together, Paul goes on to say, but I want you to know, for this purpose, I toil. I repurpose my life. I do this. Paul gives his own personal example as a model. He says, I toil, struggling with all his energy, working powerfully within me. Pay attention to this. Look at the language he chooses. I toil. You know what toil? The picture, the word picture here for toil is this. For an athlete who's preparing for Olympic Games. The exertion, the physical exertion, the things he has to do. He does all that strenuous work so that he can grow. I toil. I toil. But pastor, ministry is a lot of work, you know. Yeah, if it is not a lot of work, it doesn't require sacrifice. It doesn't require your, your death your, to the point of exhaustion. Then you're just doing your hobby. It has to be work. He says it's toil to the point where it's labor pain. And he says, I'm struggling. Like that word struggling in another language, in another translation, it's the word striving. The picture word is I'm anguishing in my soul. I cry over it. I am anguished in my soul. I want to do. I'm agonizing in my soul to do the will of God. That people will become mature. Wow. That is hard work. But I'm thankful to the Lord. Just like in Christian faith. Key things of your life. It is not just you working alone. It is God working in you. Look at what he says. Striving with all his energy, which powerfully works within me. I love that. In salvation, you have to repent. You have to believe. But you can't do it unless God gives you power to repent and power to believe. In sanctification, you need to obey the word and trust him and obey him. But you can't 
unless God gives you the grace to trust Him and to obey Him. The power comes from Him to do anything in Christian life. The same thing He says here. I'm working very hard, but it's not my work. It is His energy that is working in me and working powerfully through me. Listen to me carefully. Why there is burnout in ministry? Because we only do the first part. I toil, I labor. But you never take time to make the Holy Spirit work within you. God's word to work within you. When we run on empty, we will become empty. We need to fill ourselves. How? That's why the Bible says here, all that is working within me. He is working powerfully within me. There is a power that is at work within me. What is that power? It's the resurrection power of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is the power of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost that was poured. I have the power of God working within me. And when He is working within me, then I work out what He is working within me. That's why I understand this principle. God's work within us should precede God's work through us. You and I, we are people who need to pay attention to the life within. That's why in an IDMC church, we keep coming back to the inner life. You cannot be intentionally making disciples unless you are authentically walking before God. That is the key. The life within me, the inner life. I want Him to work within me powerfully. And when I experience His power, I go into the world and I declare Him, I proclaim. Presenting every man mature in Christ. Because for this reason, I toil, struggling, striving, anguishing, agonizing. But not alone. With all His energy, which powerfully works within me. I'll finish with this story. A young man went to a missions agency and said, I want to go on missions to India. I want to live as a missionary in India. This was story told by Charles Spurgeon in his sermon. And the missions agency invited him for an interview. The person that's going to interview him is an old missionary. And this missionary told him, I want you to come to my house tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. So he went to the house at 5 a.m., this young man, on a snowy, cold winter's morning. He went at 5 a.m. He was there on time. They invited him in and they placed him there to take a seat. The missionary did not see him until 8 a.m. He came out to see and say, hi, so you want to go to India and live for Jesus? He said, yes, sir. Can I ask you a few questions? Oh, yes, sir. One, do you know how to spell? He said, yes, I do. Can you spell for me cat? He said, C-A-T. Very good. Can you spell for me dog? He said, D-O-G. He said, very good. How are you with numbers? Oh, I'm good. Okay, what is two plus two? He said, four. Okay, what is two times two? He said, four. He said, very good. Interview is over. You can go back. I'll submit my report to the missions committee. And this is what he wrote 
to the missions committee. This young man has all the qualifications for a fine missionary. First, I tested him on self-denial, making him arrive at my home at five in the morning. He left a warm bed on a snowy morning without any complaint. Second, I tested him on promptness. He arrived on time. Third, I examined him on patience. I made him wait three hours to see me. Fourth, I tested him on temper. He failed to show any anger or aggression, aggravation. Fifth, I tried his humility by asking him questions that a seven-year-old child could answer. And he showed no indignation. So you see, I believe the candidate meets the requirements. He will make a fine missionary, just the kind we need. Church, I want you to think about this. Discipleship is at the heart of what we do here as a church. And part of our discipleship process is one, we become authentic in our own discipleship. And two, we are intentional in our disciple making. And the goal of our discipleship is that people grow in Christ-likeness, in spiritual maturity. And you know when it's seen? When you are as humble as your master. When you're as lowly as your master. When you walk around with nothing, no entitlements and nothing, and you come to that place where you are able to say, my life is his. And when you come to that place, there is a place of spiritual maturity. God will use you mightily to win this world. That's what the world needs to see. A life so radically transformed by the gospel we believe in. Him we proclaim. Warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all energy of His energy which powerfully works within me. Every head bow, every eye close all across this place. Thank you for listening to our message. We pray that God's word spoke to your heart and gave you an inspiration and encouragement. If you are truly blessed by this, would you take a moment to leave a comment or give us a rating on the Apple podcast service? Not only that, take an opportunity to share this on social media platforms so others who are in similar situations may be encouraged with the word of God. We love you. If you wanna connect with our church, Go to connect.idmc.com.au and share with us where you're from, what you're doing, so that we can keep you in our prayers before the Lord. God bless you. 